AHLA is pleased to present this special series highlighting the top 10 health law issues of 2022, where we bring together thought leaders from across the health law field to discuss the major trends and developments of the year. Support for AHLA and this series is provided by PYA, which helps clients find value in the complex challenges related to mergers and acquisitions, clinical integrations, regulatory compliance, business valuations and fair market value assessments, and tax and assurance. For more information, visit PYAPC.com. Thank you for joining us with the AHLA's Top 10 Issues in Health Law for 2022. Excited to bring up the rear at the, the last of these sessions um, for the 10th session. Um, I'm Valerie Rock. I'm with uh, PYA. I'm a principal with PYA and in our compliance department, and I oversee our revenue integrity services. And today we're going to be talking about APPs and the expansion of those APPs utilization as it relates to COVID and how that might be a pathway forward um, for continued expansion of those um, APPs. So today I have the author of the article um, for the top 10 article, Robin Nagel. She's with Post and Schnell, so I'll let her introduce herself as well. Hello, everyone, um, and thank you, Valerie. I'm uh, Robin Nagel. I uh, practice health healthcare law with Post and Schnell in Philadelphia. Uh, and I have a healthcare regulatory and compliance practice, and I also work a lot in medical staff uh, and privilege issues, uh, but uh, uh, definitely a, a good component of my work relates to advanced practice professionals uh, and the various settings in which they practice. So I'm very happy to be here today. Great, thank you, Robin. So we are going to talk about APPs today and wanna to make sure that we're all on the same page on what an APP is. Um, so. You heard uh, Robin say advanced practice professional. You might hear advanced practice practitioner or provider, um, but you also may hear them called non-physician practitioners. Medicare calls them that. So when we're talking about these guidances today, you if you're looking for that within the Medicare manual, you want to make sure that you're looking up NPP or non-physician practitioner, not APP. That can be a little confusing. Um, we've had lots of different terminology um, to call nurse practitioners physician assistants, and other um, allied professionals. So um, we want to make sure we're talking about the same, the same thing, but um, today that's who we're talking about, the non-physician practitioners that are serving our patients and are really our future for addressing physician shortages that are anticipated. So we want to make sure that we're looking at how these trends um, might be moving forward as it relates to COVID since we've had some expansion there. So to kick things off, in what way, Robin, have you seen uh, COVID presented, has presented an opportunity to advance um, the practitioners within the industry? Um, sure. Well, um, with the obviously the federal and state emergency declarations and COVID waivers, uh, as with every other, um, you know, facet of the healthcare industry, we we just launched into an all hands on deck environment, uh, where you know the the goal was to facilitate as much care as reasonably can be provided in every setting where it can be provided, um, keeping patients out of hospital uh, as one of the top priorities, and in that. Uh, environment, uh, there was a relaxation of a number of the uh, traditional restrictions on APP practice, uh, things like supervision requirements, 
uh, location requirements, where they can practice, uh, how they can practice, obviously going into patients' homes and across state uh, boundaries. Uh, we saw, of course, a great expansion in the use of telehealth, not only by physicians, but by uh, all kinds of APPs practicing now across state lines. Um, and really, the, uh, one of the primary goals and opportunities was to relieve the burden on physicians for the primary care services that advanced pr practice professionals do very well. Um, and I think that as part of that, they were able to demonstrate uh, you know, their, the quality and efficiency of their services in doing that. Sure. So were, were there studies done along the way during COVID that helped demonstrate APP capabilities? Well, there have been numerous studies over the past several years that have demonstrated that, uh, for instance, CRNPs and PAs can provide primary care services uh, at the level of quality and efficiency that is at least equal to what physicians can provide. Um, and also that they can be effectively deployed, particularly in areas of physic where physician access is limited. I would say during COVID, there have been studies and reviews done. They're necessarily more anecdotal because we're in the middle of a global pandemic, but they've highlighted uh, that the waivers that allowed APPs to practice at the top of their licensure, evaluating, diagnosing, ordering, prescribing, and managing care in less restrictive environments really uh, provided an opportunity um, to, uh, to, to provide, generate powerful evidence of their capabilities. Um, I, I noted uh, that health affairs uh, in a COVID-related thought piece that was really focused on the challenges of, of physician practice in the COVID environment uh, pointed out that APPs can help re relieve the burden on physicians um, and reduce physician burnout, uh, which itself can cause medical errors and safety issues. So recognizing that the ability of APPs to kind of expand the reach particularly in that primary care setting uh, or environment, um, uh, you know, is, is helping to relieve um, the burden on the higher level practitioners. Sure. So what challenges lie ahead for APPs during a post-COVID environment? Well, of course, uh, with the ending of the emergency declaration and waivers, as with every other aspect of the medical industry, um, APPs are being thrust back into the same restrictive practice environment that existed pre-COVID. And there are significant restrictions uh, to APP practice, um, you know, the barriers that exist. In and, and by the way, these are very, very state specific. So you really have to look at uh, what's going on in each of the individual states. But in many states, they're still, um, CRNPs and PAs are still required to protect practice pursuant to supervision agreements or potentially the somewhat less uh, restrictive collaboration agreement where you don't have direct supervision and uh, responsibility by the physician, but you still have to have a kind of collaborative um, environment where you are consulting and they are kind of paying attention to what uh, the APP is doing. Um, one of the things that um, I, I know that APPs have pointed out as somewhat restrictive are the fact that still in many states, um, their practice is regulated by uh, medical boards, that is physicians and osteopaths, you know, licensing and overseeing uh, the scope of practice of uh, APPs. And uh, there is an argument that is being made that 
it, you would really have a more effective oversight authority if it's made up of uh, folks that are in the practice, uh, you know, are really uh, familiar, directly, personally familiar with uh, the capabilities, the training, the scope of practice uh, that uh, APPs are, are, are capable of. Um, and also, you know, let's face it, there's a concern that if APP practice continues to be regulated by medical boards, there's a certain amount of competitive or anti-competitive animus uh, that might have a tendency towards keeping that practice more restrictive. Um, so those are limitations that exist. Uh, limitations, obviously, on billing and owning one's own practice, you know, uh, unless APPs can really be able to provide the service independently, bill for the service, collect the revenues, and own and manage their own practices, they are going to continue to be somewhat beholden, you know, to the, to the physician industry. Um, things like signature requirements on orders, prescriptions, records, all of these things hamper the day-to-day -day functioning of APPs, and, and those clearly still exist post-COVID. Right. It does seem like a challenge because if there is not some level of oversight, because clearly PAs and MPs don't have the same education exactly as a physician, so there's, there's kind of like a tug, a push and pull to that that um, needs to be overcome at some level to allow those um, PAs and MPs to practice independently. It's interesting that it may be the physicians themselves that kind of hold that back because of that, um, that feeling like they're taking over the same space. So um, <clears throat> hopefully we can overcome that because there is a need, right, for those APPs to have that um, ability to see those patients or else we will have a shortage. So hopefully we can get everybody aligned. So are there any signs that COVID has provided an impetus for more permanent change? Well, um, I think there's been a lot of movement at the state level. And of course, it has to happen predominantly at the state level in terms of licensure and scope of practice. Um, so we are seeing laws passed just in the past year in various states, um, relaxing supervision and collaboration requirements, um, expanding scope of practice, eliminating some of the counter signature uh, burdens and so forth. Um, and so, yes, uh, I think there are um, some significant gains that have been made. Uh, in the area of uh, CRNPs, for example, just to give a few examples. Um, sure. So Del I, I talked about the licensing board, you know, versus the nursing board, the medical board. So Delaware this year moved to the licensing authority for CRNPs from the Board of Medicine to the Board of Nursing. That's seen as a step forward. Massachusetts granted full practice authority to CRNPs, um, and they passed emergency regulations this year that, for instance, allow CRNPs, uh, psychiatric nurse, mental health clinical specialists, and other nurse practitioners um, to prescribe without supervision, that is to prescribe medication without supervision, after they've gone through an initial two years of supervised practice. So you go through the initial period and then you move into independent practice. Um, Arkansas authorized a pathway for full independent practice for qualified nurse practitioners. Uh, they have to complete about 6,000 hours of supervised practice under a collaborative agreement with a physician, uh, but then they could move into independent practice. Um, and a similar path for certified nurse midwives. Um, one caveat there, uh, the law permits them to uh, prescribe 
Schedule II controlled substances, but only with a collaborative agreement. So if they want to have that ability, they're going to have to have a collaborative agreement in place for that. Um, Illinois, and you know, just sort of reflecting the, the pandemic environment that we're in, Illinois and Oklahoma passed laws authorizing APRNs to complete death certificates. Um, and a new Louisiana law authorizes psychiatric mental health nurse practitioners who are practicing pursuant to a collaborative agreement to make the decision or to order voluntary admission or uh, to certify for emergency uh, admission uh, patients for psych treatment facilities. Um, so those are a number of examples where laws have been passed that are recognizing you know, the, the, the capability uh, of allowing this greater scope of practice for, for nurse practitioners. That's great. We've definitely seen some um, real push forward, even in the telehealth space in regards to access to care for mental health issues. So that's um, been a good trend. So allowing those PAs and MPs to provide services in that area is also excellent to see. Um, what about uh, other ways that PAs have had gains in this area? So, um, yeah, there are a number of states that have made, again, uh, passed legislation uh, authorizing increased PA practice. Um, Tennessee, I mentioned uh, Delaware creating the Board of Nursing for licensure of CRNPs. Tennessee passed a similar law taking uh, licensure for PAs from a committee of the medical board and uh, instead putting it under a board of PAs um, uh, to, to supervise that. Um, Oregon moved from PA supervision, supervision agreements to collaborative agreements, which again, as I said before, are less restrictive. Um, and it also relaxed requirements um, relating to PA dispensing medications uh, and made some permanent, um, uh, you, you mentioned telehealth and uh, Oregon has basically aligned PA ability to do telehealth uh, to match that of physicians. Um, and they do have good uh, laws already on the books, allowing uh, physicians and now PAs to be practicing telehealth, to be practicing across state lines, um, you know, to, to make the licensure issues uh, more manageable. Um, so um, that those are very positive developments. Um, Florida made a number of changes for PA practice, um, the ability to prescribe and dispense prescription medications, to authenticate documents, to supervise medical assistants, so PAs supervising MAs. Um, they also modernized the education and training requirements in a variety of respects. And so having relaxed some of those supervision requirements, they then also increased the, uh, the number of PAs that a physician can supervise uh, from four to 10. So you still need the supervision agreement, but the physician can now supervise more PAs uh, because the supervision requirements are somewhat relaxed. Um, similar thing happened in uh, Washington state. Uh, they increased the uh, supervision ratio from five to 10, physician to PA. Um, and uh, they also, another uh, element of what they did in Washington was to eliminate the requirement of uh, approval of the supervision agreement. Still need supervision agreement, but you no longer have to get the Washington commission approval of that agreement. Um, Pennsylvania, likewise, um, removed the uh, board, the, it's still a medical board, but the medical board approval of PA supervision agreements, uh, you still have to file them with the board, but they no longer have 
to approve them. And uh, they created more flexibility in terms of uh, counter signature requirements. Uh, for instance, the PA and the physician for the first two years of practice, physician actually has to review and sign off on 100% of the PA's records. But after that first two years, the physician and the PA can decide what they think is the appropriate amount of review and counter signature on a go forward basis. So um, you know, after that initial period, it uh, allows for a lot more flexibility. Um, so, you know, all of these things on one level could be seen as kind of baby steps towards, you know, the goal that the APs have of full independent practice. Uh, but I do think that we've seen a number of gains in the past year and that each one helps create momentum uh, for future changes. Absolutely. So we talked about kind of the regulatory aspect. What about the billing and payment aspects? Well, I'm going to start by flipping this back to you because I know that you are a billing and coding expert and that you've worked very, uh, very significantly in the PA space. Um, from chatting before, I know that you have some concerns about the new Medicare requirements. So why don't you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So as, as you know, or as you, some people may or may not know, um, there's been a change or shift in guidance in regards to the way that you bill and select an EM code, an evaluation and management code, um, starting in 2021. Based on that change, there, the shared visit guidance and the critical care guidance that were in the Medicare manual no longer made sense and they were no longer aligned with that new guidance. So there was a petition by physicians and other providers that said that needs to be removed. We need to revisit this. Let's, let's get this aligned. So in 2022, in the fee schedule, Medicare physician fee schedule for 2022, it was finalized um, that the way that you select the level of service for a scenario when you have an APP and a physician doing a service at, on the same day, so shared visit in a facility setting that you would use whoever provided more than 50% of the time, that is the provider, the billing provider for the claim. So in most cases, we know that APPs are usually the ones that go in, they get all the, the data, they're gathering the information on the patient, they're making sure that they are looking through the history, looking through the exam components, um, kind of do the, doing that preliminary medical decision-making. And from that, the physician takes that information and then makes some decisions about it and may get clarification on some exam elements some history elements and things like that, and then make a decision on the, you know, the medical decision-making and the assessment and plan. Um, so in a majority of cases, you would have an APP doing a majority of the time for that scenario. In 2021 and, and up to 2021, you would build that shared visit in a hospital setting, facility setting under the physician. But now, based on these new guidelines, you would be billing that under the APP. Now, we know physicians um, get 100% of the fee schedule and APPs get 85% of the fee schedule from a reimbursement perspective. That means that either there's probably going to be a, a shift in patient flow or the physician is going to say, well, I'm just going to take more time <laughs> to see this patient. There's going to be some kind of shift because the the 
you know, we've kind of pulled away the reason to use these APPs if we're going to reduce the total amount of reimbursement by 15% um, for the same service in 2021 and, and previous um, to that. So it is going to be a real challenge to see how this um, moves forward, but this is an example of changing the guidance that might have sounded like a good idea where you're going to you know, treat the APPs as a part of that physician group and pull them all together and bill under one provider and bill under the predominant provider. That sounds good until you realize it's going to be a 15% reduction. In addition to that, physicians are often paid on work RVUs. So now if a, the bill is going out under the APP instead of the physician, now the physician comp model is no longer, it, it no longer works because now you don't know how much that physician work was associated with that service. The, the physician is basically lost from the data. So it, it is going to be a challenge. And I think it goes against the APP utilization, not for their utilization. And so I'm, I'm concerned about that, that it's, um, it's going to you know, flip in the wrong direction. So I do recommend you know, getting um, you know, on the phone to CMS and others, you know, people that represent you within CMS and your Macs uh, about this and, and try to figure out a way that it, it's going, you know, for a good solution to this, um, because I don't know that this is a step in the right direction. Um, an additional area um, that we've seen things kind of moving forward is that credentialing for private payers has increased for APPs. Um, a lot of them are credentialing now, whereas in the past they have not credentialed. So now when we go into a physician practice, oftentimes they're saying, yes, we credential our APPs and we don't bill incident to anymore that we just bill under the APP when, when they're doing service, which is great, which is getting back to that top of license kind of scenario where the APP can do an independent service, bill under his or her number and, and be done with it versus trying to kind of finagle it to end up under the physician. Um, so we are seeing some trending forward there, but again, you know, one guidance in, in the wrong direction can kind of bring us steps back instead of steps forward. Yeah, and I think that, um, you know, what you're pointing out is that it is so much more complex, I think, in the, in the institutional environment where you have physicians and APPs and nurses and other staff just working side by side and uh, sorting all of that out from a from a billing perspective um, creates a number of challenges and, as you pointed out, uh, perhaps some workflow issues uh, as well. Um, I do think that, um, you know, where I see a, a lot of the, in terms of the expansion of practice or the, the, the enlargement of the scope of practice being most effective, I think, is on the outpatient side, particularly where, uh, you know, APPs can fill in the gaps that are filled, that, that are left um, you know, because we just can't have physicians in every rural, um, you know, county in, uh, in all of the underserved areas. And, um, you know, I think that that's uh, a, a place where APPs in particular can, sh can demonstrate their important worth. Um, an example of that uh, from a billing perspective is Arkansas. So they just um, uh, uh, passed a Medicaid law in the past year. Uh, that um, has expanded the authority of APRNs uh, to provide direct family medicine practices, to actually have their own family medicine practices. So uh, they are now recognized as primary care providers. 
and team leaders of family practice professionals uh, and patient-centered medical homes. And uh, the law requires the Medicaid program to reimburse APRNs um, for ancillary services such as labs, x-rays, and other tests. Um, so it really does um, sort of help promote that idea of an independent practice at the APRN level that is capable of providing primary care services um, and billing for them. Great. So bringing this kind of all together, looking to the future, what do you see as the path forward for APPs seeking to capitalize on gains made during COVID? Well, of course, the various APP groups, be it physician assistants, CRNPs, or others, they all are pretty active in lobbying at the federal and the state level. And I'm sure those lobbying efforts are going to continue uh, you know, through 2022 and beyond. Um, as one example of that, uh, the American Academy of Physician Associates, or AAPA, these are PAs, um, they've sort of developed a, a, um, you know, a, a target or a program that they call optimal team practice. Um, and what they mean by that is a future state in which PAs practice alongside physicians and other healthcare professionals, you know, as sort of equal members of the team without what they call, quote, burdensome administrative constraints that limit their practice. So, you know, this translates into three concrete goals that they have. Uh, one is the elimination of the physician supervision and collaboration requirements. Uh, so they'd like to be able to practice completely on their own. And as you pointed out, you know, there's a, there's a push and pull to that because I think we all recognize that there's certainly, um, you know, uh, an important role for physicians in that relationship. Um, the second one is uh, to create, as I've mentioned a couple of times, PA boards to actually do the licensing and regulate the practice of PAs so that they're not a, a cousin of, of the physician boards. Um, and then the third is to authorize PAs to be el eligible for direct payment for all public and private insurers. So they are very lofty goals. We're very, very far from uh, seeing that happen in the real world. But, um, you know, I think just looking back over what happened during COVID and what's happened um, over 2021, um, they can point to specific laws that have been passed that are, you know, beginning to move them in that direction. And I would expect that that trend will continue in, into and through 2022 and, and really beyond. Great. Well, thank you, Robin. Really appreciate um, your time today and sharing with us in regards to this potential expansion, kind of a silver lining on COVID maybe um, that, uh, that we can take from this. And um, thank you, AHLA for hosting these podcasts. Really appreciate um, your efforts uh, for getting this information out there so that we can all uh, learn from what's going on in as we head into 2022. So thank you all for your time today and have a great day. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to AHLA Speaking of Health Law wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more about AHLA and the educational resources available to the health law community, visit AmericanHealthLaw.org.